Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everybody, to the Alt Left. This is episode 28 for reals this time. Um, I'm bad at math. It happens. So, but for realsies, this is episode 28. Because y'all are counting. I know you are. I know. Everyone's got a little chart marking them off, keeping track. You know, I don't think anyone made a comment about it, did they, Matt? No, we haven't gotten one yet. I don't think anybody's caught it. So, Fucking but, uh... slackers. <laughs> I, I noticed. See, well, the good Reverend Doctor, nothing slips by him. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be covering um, a little something special. It's something that uh, Matt has actually been itching to do for quite a while. Uh, we wanted to do a special series and just kind of do them, sprinkle them here and there. You know, this week was a a slower week in the news. Um, not that nothing happened, but none of the giant things that would necessitate its own cast for. And so rather than boring you with just an update on what's happening on CNN.com, we figured we'd do one of these special cases. And we want to go over the Bill of Rights. Uh, yep. The constitutional amendments are huge, especially the first 10. And so we figured we would start it off by doing an episode talking about the First Amendment. Yeah, because uh, this is important, especially when engaging, I think, the right wing, because so many of them will try to act like that what they really are is just avid constitutionalists. Like, that's all they care about. They they will thump the Constitution almost as loud as they will thump their Bibles and, and try to use it as a means to justify all kinds of just horrible and actually mostly downright illegal acts. And so understanding the bill of rights and, and what it is and what it actually says and doesn't say. And, and to an extent, understanding what the motivations of our founding fathers were when they, when they created them is important. It's also important to understand how it applies to us today, because what we're going to talk about here is also the idea that the founding fathers wanted our constitution to be a living document. They wanted the, that the, the laws that govern our nation to grow with the nation. And that's absolutely a true statement. And so to try and, and, and use what their original intent was to justify keeping everything the same is one of the first things we need to throw out the door right now, because that's an idiotic idea holds no water. Absolutely. It's become its own religion. Constitutionality has become its own faith statement on its own at all times. I mean, we we constantly talk about the founding fathers as if it matters what a bunch of slave-owning, rich white men thought at all. These men wanted to create a government and wanted a society in which only wealthy white men had a say. This was supposed to be a Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates club. That's what this was supposed to be. And to worship them and say that their will must survive beyond all generations is, is ridiculous because even they didn't think that, you know, these guys were leaving a society ruled by a king. They wanted something new, you know, and this was not just what these 12 dudes wanted. And everyone was like, oh, what a neat idea. No one ever thought of that before. Like, no, this came out. This came out of a century of, of British philosophy. That spawned not only the American Revolution, um, but the, the the destruction of the British monarchy and the fall of the, the French monarchy. And then later the Spanish monarchy. I mean, the monarchies all started crumbling piece by piece. You know, the Russians were one of the last ones. Whether or not you want to talk about the Germans and, you know, Van Bismarck and, and, and those people as, you know, whether or not they were a dynasty or not, I, I don't agree. But that's up to a historical debate. But the British crown was one of the first big ones to fall. 
And again, it had been coming for a long time. We had people like John Locke. We had philosophers like Calvin who, who constantly taught us about things like private property and individual rights and the rights of wealth and the rights of land ownership and that kind of thing, which today we see as evil, and they are. At the time, that was considered incredibly liberal. That's actually where you get the term classical liberal that libertarians love to throw out there. Because a long time ago, the idea that you were allowed to own something and make a lot of money and have any kind of power without a noble lineage was radical. It was absolutely radical that a merchant class could emerge and have the means of production, own land, own businesses, you know, that kind of thing. That was a completely radical idea. So the founding fathers were radical for their time and recognized that things needed to change. Uh, Matt actually reminded me uh, of a quote. And, you know, Jefferson basically wanted the Constitution to kind of get torn up and rewritten every generation. And I've got this quote from Jefferson here where he talks about that kind of change. He says, I am not an advocate for frequent changes in laws and constitutions, but laws and institutions must go hand in hand with the progress of the human mind. As that becomes more developed, more enlightened, as new discoveries are made, new truths discovered, and manners and opinions change. With the change of circumstances, institutions must advance also to keep pace with the times. We might as well require a man to wear still the coat which fitted him when a boy is civilized society to remain ever under the regiment of their barbarous ancestors. Uh, so basically what he's saying here is that it's ridiculous to have one person lay down the law and have future generations have to live by it. You know, at the time, they didn't think this was going to be a permanent thing. But somehow, in our worship of Washington and all of his rich buddies, we have started the new secular religion of American constitutionalism. And that yeah. can't ever change. I find, yeah. it, I find it particularly ironic that the people that most advocate for sticking with what men said hundreds of years ago are conservatives when the guys they're constantly using to defend that viewpoint were anything but they didn't want the status quo to they didn't want to keep the status quo they wanted things to change and evolve they wanted us as a nation to embrace new ideas new ways of thinking and adapt them to fit our modern society and conservatism, one of the main reasons I'm so against it is because it flies in the face of that. Conservatism wants everything to stay the same always. I think my, I would respect conservatism a little more if that's where it stopped. But conservatism doesn't even necessarily mean they want things to never change. Conservatives are simply the privileged class wanting their privilege to never end and to regress to a time where they had more. Because I got to tell you, that conservatism of things never changing, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that fucking nut job, right, wants to talk about creating an Anglo-Saxon caucus. That's not conservative. That's not old. That is a new thing. Hell, they didn't even, they had that unofficially in the Constitution, right? They didn't even talk about Anglo-Saxonism. That would be a new thing to do, yet the conservatives are all for it. So they're fine with changing things and revolutionizing systems as long as it works in their favor. And so I don't even like the term conservative because it's false. They're not even conserving anything. They don't even want to keep the, the, the past alive and not let anything change. It's literally a bunch of crybabies who want to keep their privilege and hide it under the veneer of preservation. Yeah, 100%. That is, 
that is the absolute truth. Well, I'm going out of a high note because that actually sounded pretty good. So I'm going to call it right here. You guys do the podcast without me because now I'm just going to sound dumb. So Chris out. Uh, so conservatives like to use the Constitution as both a security blanket and kind of like how Christians in America use the Bible as selectively as possible. I'm going to cherry pick the couple of things I really like, and I'm going to hold those as my absolute truths and ignore the spirit of the rest of it. What does the First Amendment say? It's very short. These amendments are not long. They don't get lengthy until you hit, like, Prohibition era, right? They're, they're usually very, very short, probably just because people had to write them by hand. It's a pain in the ass. And if, you ever, if you've ever actually tried to use a quill, Jesus Christ, the duck doesn't stop yelling. It's terrible. So <laughs> what it actually says is Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free excise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So what that basically means is saying Congress will make no law establishing a specific religion or stopping people from practicing their religion. That has, of course, changed to you have the freedom to worship Jesus in whatever manner you like. Uh, the next one is abridging the freedom of speech, which is what the conservatives love to now wrap themselves into freedom from consequences or of right. the press, which is now, again, conservatives like to abuse this and basically throw out ad hominem attacks and complete conjective garbage and claim it's freedom of the press and the right of the people to peacefully assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances. You have a right to protest. You have a right to talk shit about the government and not have anyone silence you. And of course, if you know that tear gas exists, you know that's gone. So they've been warped. It's still here, but a lot of Americans have a warped perception of A, what this these were intended for, and B, what they actually do. So Again, the five freedoms it protects is speech, religion, press, assembly, and the right to petition the government. These, these are the things the First Amendment protects you against, not everything else. There's, there's a, it protects you against specific circumstances, and there's limitations. You know, one of the first ones that the government refuse, reserves for itself in basic governance. Like, so things like the regulation of airwaves, uh, so TV, radio, and unfortunately, internet, which I don't think any government should actually have regulation. I think that belongs to the planet civilization as a whole. TV, radio, internet, communications, and again, that's regulated to it's, – it's, it's set under the airwaves, even though that's bullshit. Um, the speech of active military personnel, people who are in the army on active duty uh, or in any you know branch of the military do not have the same freedom of speech as civilians do. You know, they can they, – they face consequences for – basically a grieving against the government that would be considered a traitor's act for them, which it wouldn't be for a regular citizen. Teachers uh, and lawyers are held to different standards too. I mean, the, the state gets to regulate who can practice law. Rudy Giuliani's going for that right now, where they're trying to take his, his right to practice law away because of what he's done. That would some, some libertarians would see that as an infringement on speech. Uh, but the government has that right to do that. And also in prisons this is one of the, you know, one other one of the main ones. Those are government institutions and prisoners in federal prisons and even state prisons do not carry the same freedoms of speech that citizens do. So what are the, so what we're going to focus on here, though, is not how this affects lawyers and teachers and doctors. What we really want to talk about here is how this affects the average citizen, you and I. 
Uh, and despite what right wing and, and libertarian idiots like to claim and scream about on Fox News and OAN, uh, there's a lot of limitations to speech. You can't say anything you want. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech, not freedom from consequences. A, a private company deciding you don't get to tweet there anymore is not a violation of your speech. It's them protecting their freedom of speech, actually. Uh, Twitter and Facebook have a right to censor you because you are using their platform. They control the speech because they are private companies and they constitute their own freedom of speech. And so they can stop you from tweeting on there. That is not you being silenced. That is a private company making their own decisions. What are the ones that are actually held, right? Like by legal precedent in this country. Real quick. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but do you want to say that it's not you being silenced? Because they are technically being silenced. They're just not being silenced by the government. No, they're not being silenced by anyone. If someone if someone wants to call into this podcast and be on it and we say no, that's not us silencing them. That's refusing to let them onto our platform. You know, <laughs> if I don't let you into my cab, that's not me. That's not me stopping you from getting a ride home. It's saying I'm not going to drive you. You're right. I take that back. Never mind. Good point. But, but I think there's a reason why we have that conversation is because it, it gets foggy, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it comes down to, well, I, you know, again, and, and, and that's a good question. If you, if you can't be on Twitter and you can't be on Facebook and all of the things that they own and control at a certain point, are you being silenced? Because I would agree that no, you're not. And it's funny that you find like libertarians and conservatives who constantly scream about the free market solving all their problems. They just don't like it when the free market goes against them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, you have to remember that the amendment stops the government from silencing you. That's the difference. We're talking about the government saying that you can't say something specifically versus a, a platform holder saying, nope, I don't want you to be able to espouse hate speech on my platform. Sorry, that that's just not what we're going to allow you to do. So you have to remember that there is a separation here of a private entity and the government. The government can't do it, but a private entity can when you try to use their platform. Yeah, and I think there's an argument against it. I'm not I'm not advocating for that. It's just because we're not talking about it because I don't think any of us buy it fully. Uh, I'm probably the only one who even gives it a lot of thought. But again, at a certain point, if the only major social media platforms are Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and if you're banned for all of them, at a certain point, those kind of do serve as a public utility because they have become the public's most used form of communication. You know, you can have a solar panel on your roof and have a well to get water, but you still have a right to connect to the DWP. And if they cut you off, you have been cut off from a utility. Now, again, I'm not necessarily saying this is, but I think you could make an argument there. Well, and and the counter argument that I would use is that the Internet is the utility, not the platform or not the, mm. the specific websites or programs that are on the Internet. OK, take example of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. Ooh. He was banned from Facebook. He was banned from quite a few other platforms, right? That's the guy that so, looks like a big fat Cheeto, right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. He was uh, the last president one term. So he wasn't actually banned from using the internet. He was banned from using specific platforms on the internet. So what did he do? He started his own 
quote unquote social media platform, which was basically him using a website yeah. as a blog. He made a he made a WordPress and nobody liked it, and then he ran away and cried. Pretty much. I, I mean, it, I wasn't trying to use any you know defamatory language about this. I was simply trying to show that he can still have an outlet on the internet on the actual utility. No one has stopped him from that. But private entities have decided that their platform is not where they want his uh, infamatory speech. Yeah, I think that's super fair. I would actually completely agree with you. I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. You know, uh, if, you, if you can't go into the, 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 the Macy's anymore, you haven't been banned from the mall. You've been banned from the Macy's. Correct. Um, yeah, I would actually agree with you. So, in this, so what are the, you know, if we're going to talk about this, the the freedom of speech and, the, you know, the freedom of these things, especially with speech, um, there are exceptions to this. You know, everyone's heard, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater and that kind of thing, right? That's it goes way these, deeper than that. Way deeper. You know, one of the first ones is incitement, right? Uh, so the Supreme Court has held that, and this is their quote, advocacy of the use of force is unprotected. And again, remember, we're not saying you cannot say it. Or saying you are not protected from the liability that results from your speech. Uh, so it's unprotected when it is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. So basically, if you go out and start a bunch of shit and your words cause damage because you have incited things that actually are a call to violence, you can be liable for them. So in, in the early 20th century, Incitement was determined by the, and this is, again, the Supreme Court's quote, the clear and present danger standard. Uh, the case was, uh, was Schenick, I think it's Schenick, uh versus United States, 1919. Uh, so the very beginning of the century. And uh, it was Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, quoted where he said, the question in every case is whether the words used are used in such circumstances and are of such a nature as to create a clear and present danger that they will bring about the substantive evils that Congress has a right to prevent. Okay, so now fast forward about 50 years. In 69, Brandenburg v. Ohio, uh, they narrowed this this limitation down. They, they, they got a little more focused on it. Uh, and they said it, it had to be an imminent lawless action standard. Uh, the Supreme Court unanimously actually reversed the conviction of a KKK group for advocating violence as a means of accomplishing political reform because their statements at a rally didn't express an immediate or imminent intent to do violence, right? So they may make a call for genocide. They might make a call that we should bring back lynching, that we should do blank blank. But the thing is, they didn't say we should go kill Tim over there right now. And that's mm -hmm. the difference. Um, and so that's why they overturned that. There has to be some ca some causal event that you can trace back to the speech directly. Like it can't well, be some like backward thing, right? And again, it, it wasn't just clear and present danger. It had to be imminent lawless action, which means it needs to be illegal. It needs to be dangerous and it needs to be right fucking now and it needs to be directed. And that's the difference. If you're like, go kill that guy right over there in the blue shoes, that is imminent lawless action and a clear and present danger. But if you're just like, you know, this country would be better if we just killed everyone with blue shoes on. That's protected speech. So the statements they made at the rally were generalizations. They were not distinctive, right? And they actually said that, you know, the primary distinction is that the latter test does not criminalize mere advocacy. Um, now, there's a, this branches a little bit because, okay, what if it's not so 
general, right? And, and the, the term is legal, believe it or not, uh, the legal term is fighting words. So <laughs> SCOTUS actually came up with that. The Supreme Court came up with the term fighting words. Is that where the, is that where the, uh, the phrase, them's are fighting words? Comes from? Uh, no, uh, they used fighting words because of the phrase them's fighting words. <laughs> but it is funny when like, I mean, can you imagine if like all of a sudden, like, you know, you hear a Supreme Court ruling and Sotomayor is like, well, because of the property of Yeet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Like they were yeah. like, mm, fighting words that that ticks. Uh, so the, a famous case in 42 is Chaplinsky versus New Hampshire. Right. Uh, Supreme Court held that speech is unprotected if it constitutes, quote, fighting words. Uh, and the court defined that as words that tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace by provoking a fight so long as it is a personally abusive word when addressed to the ordinary citizen is, as a matter of common knowledge, inherently likely to provoke a violent reaction. Additionally, such speech must be directed to the person of the hearer and is thus likely to be seen as a direct personal insult. Now, this doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk shit. What it means is that if you use your speech to pick a fight and you get criminally charged or civilly sued, what you said can be used against you and is not protected. So if you walk up to someone at a bar and you're like, I don't like your fucking face. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? And you're like, we should step outside so I can beat the shit out of you. And then you go outside and you beat the shit out of him. And then he sues you for beating the shit out of him. The, 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 the court will not say, well, Nothing bad can happen to this man. His speech was protected. They'll be like, no, no, he's totally liable for that. He picked a fucking fight. That's his problem. And that's what it means. And, and then later the court actually added true threats of violence uh, directed either a person or a group of persons. Uh, sorry, that have the intent of placing the target at risk of bodily harm or death are generally unprotected. But there are exceptions. Um, like the Supreme Court held that uh, threats may not be punished if a reasonable person would understand them as obvious hyperbole. Additionally, threats of social ostracism and of politically motivated boycotts are constitutionally protected. And so that's what it comes down to. If I walk up and I'm like, hey, you and me, outside, we're settling this Bill Gates debate once and for all, fisticuffs, Queens, Qu Queensberry rules, that would be <laughs> fighting words. That would be an incitement of violence. But if it's hyperbole, if I'm like, man, you say that again, I'm beat your ass, fucking asshole, like that is not because that's hyperbole. Makes sense. Now, there is an exception to this. Anyone know what it is? There's one single exception specifically for this one. Threatening POTUS. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. T Title 18, Section 871 of the U.S. States Code. It is illegal to knowingly and willfully make any threat to take the life of, to kidnap, or inflict bodily harm upon the President of the United States. Which actually makes me wonder, like, what if I'm just like, I'm just going to handcuff him and tickle him. Would that be... Because that is not kidnapping. And that would be that would uh, unlawful detainment. Yes, but that's not that's, that's that's not covered. And I'm only making a threat to. If I did it, it would be unlawful detainment. But what if I were to hypothetically threaten him with a tickle fight? Threat of kidnapping. But threat it of assault. Be kidnapping. Yeah, it's still but, assault. You're still touching him. But, I mean, God, why would the fuck would you want to do that? But that's not the law. Any threat to take the life of, so can't kill, kidnap, or inflict bodily harm. Upon the president of the United I'll, States. I think I'll pass. I think the Secret Service would still ask me some serious fucked up questions. I, I um, agree. That's why I said I pass. 
Yeah, and, and again, but and they actually did extend it later. It, it applies to any president-elect, vice president, or any other officer next in the order of succession to the office of president or vice president-elect. Makes sense. Uh, which means it's illegal to do with Nancy Pelosi, too. Anyone who's in the line of succession is now covered under this. Um, yeah, it, it's distinct from any other forms of threats because the threatener doesn't need to have the actual capability to carry out the threat, which means prisoners can be charged, hmm. which has All happened. Right. But yeah, which and, and this one I actually agree with a lot um, because to threaten the life specifically of a um, you know, to call in death threats of a, an elected official is, is not democracy. And I find myself so torn on that one because also in certain Eastern Bloc countries, when 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 senators are caught taking bribes and doing really, they literally there's I forgot what country it is it's not it's not Hungary, I can't remember. There's a tradition where they literally will go in and drag them out of their office and throw them in a dumpster when they're caught being corrupt. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, national that's tradition. throwing them in a dumpster. That's not killing them. I think you could count that as kidnapping and causing bodily harm. Uh sure, I'll <laughs> give you that. Uh anyway. So that is the one exception to the president. So the next one is false statements of fact. Uh, and this one's fuzzy. Is, is Lies are not censored by the government. You're allowed to lie. Uh, but the Supreme Court has ruled repeatedly in favor of slander and libel. Uh, the First Amendment doesn't protect you from slander. Uh, and any statement you make under penalty of perjury that are lies, you do have a legal liability for them. If they're judged to be material, you can be liably held for them. This also counts for false advertising by businesses. Uh, companies are legally liable for the claims they make to consumers. I mean, unless you're the pretend doctor, Dr. Oz, in which case Congress calls you a bad boy and you can keep peddling your fucking snake oil. But Except unless your bastard is an actual doctor and he's a fucking disgrace. He is a fucking disgrace. But apparently, unless you're protected by Oprah, you are liable for the claims you make about products and services. Yeah, he uses the same kind of bullshit get out of jail free card that a lot of like vitamin shops and things like that do. It's it's not directly enough lies that he's able to kind of navigate this this minefield of uh, legal bureaucracy so that he doesn't actually get any charges filed against him. But I mean, he's, he's a piece of shit and he's absolutely a bullshit con artist. And what's sad about it is if you go back to earlier uh, instance of him, he used to be a legit respected doctor. And once he realized that peddling this bullshit was going to make him money, he went all in for it, brother. He did. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's yeah. Commercial advertising. Uh, it allows a company to not make any misleading commercial advertising claim. There's a lot of things, and like Matt, you mentioned the supplement industry. Um, they use some very specific verbiage to get out of this, um, right? They use claims like uh, it supports, it stimulates, maintains, regulates, or promotes whatever the thing that they're doing is selling. Yep. Yeah, that's how they homeopathy also, gets sold. Yep. Yeah. They, they also use disclaimers uh, stating that this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So basically, they put all the liability on the person who is taking it, um, even though they have made the impression to people that these things are that these things are going to do something for you, and that they are going to do a very specific thing, not necessarily treat, but that it goes along with a certain ailment you might have. Which is yeah. the only reason the supplement industry even exists is through these loopholes. Correct. And this, well, this is all because yeah. of, of, of bribery and, and lobbying. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Dr. Oz uses those techniques. He also, I think one of his big things is 
yes, he is a doctor, and yes, he is recommending these stuff, but it's not doctor recommended. It's just a private person telling you that he really likes these products and how great they are. And a Although, private person is allowed to do that. To do that. That's another. That's another trick that they use with doctor recommended or doctor. You know that that it's used in some sort of clinical study or something like that. Well, and they'll be like, you know, you know, clin- you know, clinically or doctor proven. approved. Yeah. Yeah, but again, the show you know clinically proven is my one of my favorites. Like, well, what clinic? Mine is always uh, nine out of ten doctors agree. It's like, well, what did that other doctor think about it? I want to know what his well, opinion was and why. Why well, did he send? He was part of the how business. they actually how they actually do that is that they they pull ten doctors that are friendly. Yeah, well, no, it's not even that they pull ten doctors that are friendly. What they'll do is they'll they'll send out a questionnaire about a certain product. And then they will, all of the questions are all leading. It's stupid things where it's like, of course it, you know, this is that. And there's one doctor that they go, fuck you. I know what you're doing. I don't want anything to do with it. And so they remark, no, but it's nine out of 10 doctors recommend, or, you know, a, this is doctor approved because some doctor is using it. Yeah. This, the entire supplement and vitamin and homeopathy industry is absolute quack science. And to any listeners who are into this, before you get angry, I honestly, like, take a real look into this. There's a lot of history on it, and there's a lot of things you can look at. Um, This is online. This is easy to find. Google will very easily bring you up reputable sources. And I want you to look at people who are actually authorities in the scientific and medical field. Uh, Journals that have actually, that go through peer review and that articles that haven't been debunked because the science is there. You just have to grab it. And it's easy to be like, well, I don't know, but it says it works and they sell it at Whole Foods. And it's like, homeopathy is bullshit. The higher the number, the less of stuff there is in it. Like if you, you know, there's a, a C count on that stuff. And it's literally just miracle water. It's prayer water. That's all it is. This, ju- this bottle of water that you're rubbing all over your fucking taint is something <laughs> that was in a vat that was the size of a warehouse that we did drop. We waved a lavender leaf over it. And, and that's how it works. It is literally, and that's, that really is the, if you actually look up homeopathy, the theology of it is that water will take on the principles of the thing that's in it. And so it doesn't matter how diluted it is because it has the spirit of lavender in it. And, and that's how it works. And it, it it's yeah, which absolute, is crazy talk. It's absolute crazy talk. Uh, so beyond false statements of facts, we have obscenity. Uh, now this one, I disagree with uh, a lot, actually uh, under Miller v. California in the seventies speech is unprotected. If, and this is the quote, the average person applying contemporary community standards would find that the subject or work in question taken as a whole appeals to the Puritan interest, which by the way means sexual. The work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct or excretory functions, so again, sex or poop, specifically defined by applicable state law and the work taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Basically, the prudists in our country get to decide what we can do when it comes to sex. Yeah, there's a legal term for this. It's called the Miller test. It's named after the case yeah. of Miller v. California. Um, now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have obscenity laws, but they should be about having gore and sex near schools and hate speech in public. Not whether or not Karen's offended at a beer commercial at one in the morning. Well, and and this is not to be confused with cussing. We're not talking about somebody screaming fuck in the middle of a room. We're talking about 
you know, like hardcore pornography that shouldn't be in some places, but is acceptable in other places. Yeah, I mean, obscenity was used to prevent flag burning as protest. Uh, It it was finally specifically protected in Johnson v. Texas, uh, a case I'm personally familiar with, and we'll go into that later. Uh, But basically, the question of whether or not things that make you sad count as obscenity, it's nuanced. It's not well-defined. It's typically enforced in a bad way, right? It wasn't that long ago we had a national uproar over a nipple being shown during the Super Bowl for less than one second by accident, right? The F- I looked into the, the numbers on this. The FCC received over half a million complaints. CBS was fined a shit ton. And MTV was barred from ever planning the halftime show again. Uh, but what's really telling on obscenity charges is the sexism, right? I mean, this shouldn't be surprising. But it's always enforced like this, right? So Timberlake, Justin Timberlake, ripped off a piece of her top. Only the top portion was supposed to come off, but the whole covering did, and a breast was exposed, right? However, he he faced zero consequences. Nothing happened to him. In fact, he even went on interviews later and was just smug about it, like, whatever, get over it, I don't care. Jackson, whether or not you believe it was staged, or it, it was supposed to happen, or it was a malfunction, either way, she was the one who everything was acted upon. Uh, she was blamed. She was, she's ridiculed to this day. Um, and following, this is where war, the term wardrobe malfunction comes from. And after the incident, the CBS parent company of Viacom and all of its co-owned subsidiaries, MTV and Infinity Broadcasting all teamed up and enforced a blacklist of Jackson's singles and all of her music videos on all of its radio formats and music channels worldwide. She was completely and totally blacklisted because a man ripped off a part of her top yeah and that's the important part she just stood there that was even if you believe that this whole thing was staged the way it was staged was her job was to just stand there and let someone do this to her and for that she's the the one at fault yeah she's the one that's at fault like it's the most ridiculous horseshit line of thinking there is but and then you have shitty man babies in this country whining because, you know, oh, there's no such thing as sexism and it's all this fake woke culture. Well, no, like this is what we're talking about. Shit like this happens all the time. The application of the law is uneven. The treatment of women and minorities as a whole is uneven. And when you start looking at these situations, either anecdotal, but these anecdotal situations happen enough that there's raw, hard data to back them up. I don't think there were many women in this country who looked at that and were surprised and who didn't see that and go, yep, that's what happens. And obscenity is almost always forced upon women. And it's because, again, we we live in a country that whether you like it or not, this is a fact this country was founded by prudes. These people were so uptight, the English kicked them out. Okay. These people left England because they weren't prudish enough and England didn't like how prude they were and them trying to push their prudity, prudity, prudishness. There we go. Prudishness. Prudishness. On the rest of the country. Yeah, the Puritans are pretty bad. Yeah. And and that's our, that's rooted in our origins. You know, it's like everyone wants to believe all this, like, oh, we, we were trying to escape religious persecution. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but it's because your religion was pretty shitty and made you be do shitty things. Well, and on top of that, if you really want to look at examples of this, either, you know, in history or in literacy, like the Scarlet Letter is a book written about Puritan culture. The Salem witch trials were carried out by Puritans. This is the, this is the culture we're talking about. 
you know, we're, 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 we're digressing. The point is that that is how obscenity laws tend to be enforced, which is why I disagree with them. Again, I am all for not having sex and violence around children. I am all for things that cause major problems and even maybe minor regulation. Like for a while, it was like, well, you could have certain words or nudity on cable or whatever. And even that I don't really like. Because again, if you believe in the free market, it will solve itself. It just will. But if you don't, that's fine either way. But there needs to be common sense, not whether or not the people who have the loudest voices, which are conservative, white, prudish Americans, they're the ones who decide what is obscene. And I don't want to live in that kind of world. Um, now, Agreed. related to obscenity is child porn, right? Also yeah. known as libertarian art. Uh, the exception for child <laughs> porn, uh, it's distinct from obscenity, exception in a couple ways. There's, there's a couple reasons why it doesn't fall. It's a cousin to obscenity, not its child. Um, no pun intended. Um, so, so first, the rule is much more specific as to what falls under the exception, right? The rules governing child porn are far less nuanced and far less general than obscenity. Uh, and As second, it's a Yeah. But the other one is it's irrelevant whether any part of the speech meets that Miller test. It doesn't matter if child porn is offensive to someone. It, its existence is the problem. If it is classified under the child pornography exception at all, it becomes unprotected. Um, so the rule provides that speech is unprotected if it visually depicts children below the age of majority and performing sexual acts or lewdly exhibiting their genitals. Unlike the rules for simple obscenity, private possession of child pornography may be outlawed. Uh, now, this one's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, I jabbed at libertarians in this because they believe in total unfettered freedom of speech without exception. Uh, thus, the ideology at best, even if they outlaw the production of child porn to protect the body of the child involved, uh, it would still have to allow for the possession and distribution of child porn. That would be unfettered free speech, uh, which is one of the many reasons why libertarianism is the most trash political philosophy in existence, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, as a communist, fascism's got to be my natural enemy. Uh, Nazis and commies are like crows and owls. Uh, but at least fascism follows a linear ethos, you know, albeit one of evil. But libertarians are just crybaby incel white boys who scream because racism and sexism isn't acceptable anymore. Like, wah. Child pornography is an exception because it doesn't have to be exhibited. It existing in your home is unprotected speech, as it should be. It, it, it's a disease, and its very existence is problematic. And so this is one, I, it, although I vehemently disagree with obscenity laws, I very much agree with child pornography laws. Yeah. I'm with you on those, too. Agreed. It's indicative of anyone you see ignorant to how free speech actually works. Yeah. Uh, but you find, most importantly, this on the right. It is on the left, but it's especially on the right. Uh, conservatives are constantly the ones complaining about infringements on speech, but are always the ones attempting to curtail it, from flag protection to voting laws that are currently happening right now to things labeled obscene to anti-protest legislation happening a lot in places like Florida. No one hates freedom of speech more than conservatives. And they need to hear that their speech is not always protected. Yeah. Now, with those caveats that we've just put out there, the things that are not protected for citizens, uh, we're left with three huge protections beyond basic individual speech, right? Freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and freedom to assemble. So when it, when it comes to that first one, so freedom of the press, right? Kay, what would you say about that one? <laughs> well, the freedom of the press is so closely intertwined with freedom of speech that it is almost impossible to separate them. 
all of those things that you just spoke about, defamation, obscenity, commercial advertising, child pornography, those are all things that also have to do with freedom of the press. Now, the freedom of the press as a as an institution is something very different, right? Since the 1970s, there have been over 80 notable cases that have been ruled on by the Supreme Court about freedom of speech or freedom of the press, right? And these are just at the Supreme Court level, not necessarily at the state level. And what that abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, what that really means is that the government may not jail, fine, impose civil liability on people or organizations based on what they say or write, and that they cannot, except in exceptional circumstances, do so. So those exceptional circumstances are those things that that Chris just laid out, right? Defamation, obscenity, commercial advertising. Those are things that they can't say, they can be held liable for. Fighting words, correct. Does not uh, protect against the press, or it does not protect the press against private individuals or organizations such as employers, private colleges, or private landowners from uh, uh, from censoring your speech or what is put out in the media. We talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of the utility of the internet and social media and how it allows people to put out information, right? They have a responsibility not only to you and I, but they have a responsibility to themselves to abide by these uh, rules, if they so choose. They agree to in advance to even use that service. Correct. So we as users of these services, the internet allows sites that have pornography on them. As most of the world knows, you can go there and see almost anything you want. What? With a couple of cave- caveats. For free? You don't get to see any any child pornography you also can't see a snuff film that is also illegal you cannot see a film in which someone is killed and we're not talking about where there's a helicopter shooting on down on the highway and some guy was gunned down we're not talking about that we're also not talking about a movie that depicts that yeah these are like actual depictions of real death and created for the purpose of that right correct that's correct so you cannot put that on the internet Period. The other thing that that the government restricts uh, people and a press is also defamation. Uh, defamation is a false statement. A media outlet cannot make a false statement about a person or company's actions. If they are found to have done such, they can be held liable in court. You will often hear news anchors use words like allegedly or according to. Okay, so they will say, allegedly, this person did that. Okay, and what that does is that absolves the the news anchor and the news station from liability because they are alleging something they are not stating it as fact. Right. So this kind of gets around this uh, that law of being able to say things that aren't necessarily true. Which is also shitty because as long as one person is publicly alleging you did something, it still tracks even if like 80,000 are saying you didn't do it. 
Absolutely. So, well, and that's a trick that Donald Trump used a lot. Was he would be like, yeah. "Oh, well, I mean, I, people have told me, and I've According been hearing to- people are saying that this is happening, and and that's how he got around it, right?" Yeah, people are also saying the Earth is flat. Does it fucking make it true? No, no, of course not. So, uh, a really good example of defamation, right, is the Dominion voting systems versus Fox News. So Dominion Voting Systems claims that Fox News spread false claims that the company had altered vote counts and manipulated its machines to benefit Mr. Biden in the election. Okay, it's a like one point something billion dollar suit against Fox News. And then they've also sued a couple other companies that have uh, settled out of court. But this is those are the types of claims that a news media or the press can that they've made this is an example of them making claims that are false and having some sort of reparation that must be paid and or that the government can actually come after them for this because it's not while you have the freedom of speech you can't make false statements about people. When you talk about uh, a news media and you talk about people that have some sort of cognitive dissonance with the information that they're seeing or hearing, something that, that came up during the time of Donald Trump's presidency was fake news, right? It was the complete and utter disillusionment of bullshitification of news media and the press, it excused and allowed the news media to be able to say a whole bunch of things that are not true and not be held accountable accountable for it because it was touted as fake news or alternative facts. And I'm sorry, but the facts are the facts. And if, if, it's, if something is not true, someone is making a statement about that, then they need to be held accountable for it. And and to that, I would say that's, I think that's the why he did that was because as much as he wanted to, he's not Putin. He's not Xi Jinping, right? He's not these dictators he emulates so much. And he doesn't actually have the ability to censor news he doesn't like. No, of course not. Trump would have loved to have a state-run OAN or Fox News, right? But he didn't and he couldn't. And so all he could do is say, it's fake news, it's bullshit, I don't like it, they're liberal media, because all he can do is make these conjecture arguments, right? Because if he actually said Mm -hmm. anything specific or made specific allegations other than they're biased and they suck, he would be held, or at least those under him could be held to these regulations, right? Correct. But that's why the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press is so closely in time, is that they're almost the same thing because anybody that anything that is the press is also a person right the difference is in a a a public entity or a private entity versus a person something else that's interesting about the freedom of the press is that anyone can be considered freedom of press right and i could show you a hundred videos of people's First Amendment rights being violated by the police or the government of this country in terms of 
telling people that they can't take photographs, that they can't take video of anything that's visible from public area. So that is something that is actually protected by the First Amendment and by a uh, Supreme Court justice ruling, which I, I don't have it in front of me. I should. But anywhere you go, anything that you can see from a public area is free to be photographed or videotaped. And when a government tries to infringe upon that right in terms of a police officer because they are an agent of the government, that is a violation of your First Amendment rights. Yeah. You know, it's why paparazzi are able to get away with doing the job they do. They've got a really, really, really expensive camera that they can take really good pictures with of people from far away in public spaces. And, you know, that's it sucks and it's it's shitty, but it's kind of why they're able to exist and have the job they do, which is one of those examples of where, like, some of these freedoms can be a double edged sword. But the flip side of that coin is not having that is also us never being able to speak out against our government. Well, and I think and we'll, we'll cover this one day when we actually go into the Second Amendment on the next one. That is often the idea that, well, the founding fathers couldn't have accounted for blank is usually attributed to Second Amendment, which is an argument I disagree with because the founding fathers wanted people to be armed to the teeth, regardless of whether there was a musket or an A-bomb. They wanted people to have all the arms possible. You can disagree with that and not like it, but that's what they wanted. This one, I think, is actually a really good example of that. I believe... The Founding Fathers didn't account for telephoto lenses, you know, or else I think things would have How been... How could they have? Exactly. Um, and this is another example of what Jefferson was saying, was times have changed, information has changed, discoveries mm-hmm. have changed, and so therefore the law must change. That's exactly what Jefferson was inferring with that. And so as much as it is important to have the ability to record, photograph, whatever, anything that happens in public... We need limitations for things like telephoto lenses going into private homes. And I think that's, and what we see is we see that never gets infringed, but we see constant abuses of the state and the police holding back people who are photographing in public. Absolutely. That's how speech and observation, things like that are usually curtailed. Uh, What's usually not curtailed, what I honestly think is, what I think Matt's going to agree with me here, is that what runs too rampant is freedom freedom of religion has become the tyranny of faith. Would you agree, Matt? Oh, me? You, you think I have a strong opinion about religion? Really? Nah, nah. Never mind, never mind, never mind. I'll ask, uh, I'll ask the Reverend. Um, oh, yes, um, I am the Reverend. <laughs> Raw man. No, uh, absolutely. Um, in fact, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to open this up uh, with this because it's very apropos of this, of my, of my stance. And I think it's actually, you mentioned this once, I think it's actually the perfect, this quote is the perfect marriage of both our philosophies, Chris. It's by Dennis Diderot. Man will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. I love that quote. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do here. it. No gods, no masters, baby. But that being said, while that is absolutely a core part of what I believe, I don't believe in violent oppression of the religious. I don't believe in telling people what they, they can and cannot believe. And that is where the Second Amendment comes in, because the Founding Fathers agreed with that sentiment. Now, uh, one thing that that is a strong ar- argument from the religious right is that the Founding Fathers were religious, and they founded a Christian nation, and they'll often take out-of-context quotes or completely lie about what Founding Fathers have said uh, when, it, when it comes to religion. And while you can make an argument for some of them being deists at best, there is a, 
a massive amount of quotes from them that illustrate that whatever their own personal views on religion, it should not be a part of the state. One of the most famous misquotes of George Washington is, it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Washington never said that. That quote is as old as the internet. And that is it. It is a bullshit quote by a son of a bitch who is long dead and never actually said it. Christians quote that constantly, but it is a complete made-up fallacy. I'm shocked. Now, if you want some really good quotes that our founding fathers did say, let's start with John Adams. This would be the best of all possible worlds if there were no religion in it. George Washington, when he actually did say that, we know he for a fact he said, the United States of America should have a foundation free from the influence of clergy. Thomas Jefferson, Christianity neither is nor ever was a part of the common law. It's very clear by a lot of these quotes, and I could go on. There's tons of these out there. Look them up. Just just Google anti-religion quotes from the founding fathers, and you'll find them everywhere. I mean, we've got these. Uh, th- these are things they've written too, you know. And so this idea that the founding fathers wanted to found a Christian nation is just patently false. What they wanted was a secular nation where people were free to choose what religion they were able to practice, and they would be allowed to practice it freely. And that's why they wrote this into the First Amendment. Tied into this, one of the things you're going to hear common, um, commonly spoken about is this idea of separation of church and state. And where that actually comes from is, a, is another Thomas Jefferson quote. In it, he was speaking to a bunch of Baptists about uh, what his thoughts on the, the First Amendment was and what it meant. And, and so what Jefferson said was, was this— Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American, which declared that the legislature should not should make no which declared that the legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state. So this is largely where that comes from. And this this quote was referenced um, in a court ruling, I believe it was um, uh, 1878. It was Reynolds v. United States is where the uh, the ruling judge um, actually referenced this in his, in, in his, arg- in his closing statements. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of just stuck since then. But the idea of this, the, the, what we know for a fact that our founding fathers were actually saying is that they did not want the government, much like free speech, to be able to come and tell you what you could and could not believe in in practice. And I actually believe that. All my anti-religion views aside, I, aside, I think that is a necessary staple to any free democracy, any free country, really. Um, Because I don't believe in this idea that you're just going to stamp out religion through force. People have to be enlightened. They have to come to their anti-religious views naturally without coercion. And if you start forcing people, you're going to create an an oppressed class and religion is going to double down and get worse. Um, That's actually, if I'm right, Chris, tell me if I'm wrong, but I I know a little bit about this. But isn't that similar to how you got such a huge Russian Orthodox uh, Christian religion in in, uh, Russia? Yeah, well, and and, and Russia's got a long, long history of that. I mean, you got people like the Cossacks who were like, 
you want to talk about some true believers. You have, you have Westboro Baptist church has got nothing on the fucking Cossacks. Yeah. Uh, and the Cossacks actually dressed a lot better, but um, you got them, you got, yeah, the Russian Orthodox church and you have that pushback from, you know, once the Soviet revolution happened. Yeah. Um, Stalin really tried sh- to stamp it out, didn't he? Well, okay. So something that uh, has become less popular in communism is the hatred of religion. Um, and I think that is because religion has changed at the time in the, you know, in the late 19th, early 20th century, religion really was still the opiate of the masses. The church has held a whole lot of wealth and political power. Now it's not to say they don't to this day. They still do, but it's not the same. Churches held governmental power. And again, you can make arguments that they still hold sway, but that's different than authority. The way the Vatican rules Vatican City is how the Vatican ruled entire nations at the time. And so the idea of monarchs in charge of church and say like religion and politics went hand in hand back then as the authority. And so that's why it's so anti-religion because anti because religion teaches you to accept your lot in life. And this is political theory that I'm spitting here. This isn't, uh, uh, I'm not advocating for any belief system here, but this is literally the political theory of it is that religion teaches you to just simply accept that shit sucks and that's okay because you got to be humble before God. And as long as you're humble before God and just eat enough shit, you'll be rewarded later by a magical space laser. Like that's, that's how religion teaches poor people to accept their fate. Yeah. And you still see that theory and that, that belief structure today in capitalism. But that's why it was so opposed by socialism, because socialism preaches the opposite. It is saying, no, get mad, establish class consciousness, rise up against your professors and make some fucking changes. And so Marx and Engels called it the opiate of the masses. And of course, Lenin immediately went on a church purge. And even then, it's not like they like dragged people out and they were like, do you believe in God? And shot him in the head. Like, no, they, they took away a lot of the church's money and they said the state no longer sponsors you and they stole a lot of their property. And by steal, I mean, took their property and literally made it for public use, which, you know, if you actually follow Christ, he would be on board with that. Yeah. But beyond that, that's what they did was they simply stopped religion from having a free pass to rob pillage and infect people with the idea that they should suffer for no other reason. Um, and that's why they were so opposed. But now, it, you know, the world has changed. The world has become more secular in thought. So, yes, you will typically find very rarely will you find heavy socialists and communists be religious. But the hatred of it is kind of gone. But China um, is one of the big perpetrators of keeping that going because, again, China wants the worship of the state. That's something that Stalin kind of established. Like Lenin never wanted that. Stalin established that because Stalin was a weak leader. Yeah. Um, and so he needed people to suck the teat of Mother Russia and really get into this because that was the only way to keep people into it. And China does the same thing. People are suffering in mass in China. And if you have them beholden to Christianity or Islam or anything else, they will have a higher God than the state. And they are not interested in socialism. They are interested in totalitarian worship of the state, which is why when people I laugh when people are like, oh, well, communist China, it's like... China's as fucking communist as Best Buy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and neither was Soviet Russia. They were a state capitalist. Uh, that, that was, I mean, that's just a fact. This idea that they were communists. I mean, yes, they started, the revolution started under a communist banner, but Stalin was, was no more communist than fucking Bezos. Like, uh, so com- communism is never, communism requires the abolition of money and the abolition of the state. Uh, so we haven't really seen actual communism, but if you want to talk about communist infused socialism, uh, Russia did start that way. And then, and yeah. then Stalin fucked it up. But but that's a separate podcast. So we it's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> uh, but the point is, and this is one of the things where there are things I disagree with the founding fathers on. But this is one of the things I think they got right. They had the foresight to understand what a tricky road to navigate religion can be. People like, as Chris was saying, these are belief systems, and and again, they are belief systems without evidence to support them. But those can be especially tricky because systems like that, people are willing to die and defend them to their deaths. Not that they aren't willing to find other ideas as well, but the intangible is something we are, as human beings are especially fond of, uh, of um, ideas that we're especially fond of of dying for, um, and religious. Religion, in many, many cases, especially Christian religions, often kind of promote that. It's it's this idea of martyrdom. You know what I mean? It's it's a very uh, it's a very common theme amongst all religions. So, um, I think our family founding fathers had a really good beat on this, and they understood that while they themselves may not have wanted religion to to be the you know the driving force in the country, they also knew that trying to st- stomp it out would have just caused more problems than it would have solved. You would have beca- you would have created an oppressed cra- class, and you you very well could have had something like a an inquisition in the U.S. where it was basically just a revolution of religious Catholics, you know. Puritans did come here escaping what they felt was a persecution of their religious beliefs. That is true. Um, And again, I think their religious beliefs are shitty, but I think a lot of religious beliefs are shitty. And to be fair, there are some religious beliefs that are good. Where we start getting into tricky things now is as time has gone on, um, there's been a lot of warping of that. And, you know, there, there, again, we could do an entire podcast on this. One of the things I want to focus on is uh, uh, something that got passed back in 1993. And, and some of you may be familiar with this, some of you may not, but it's the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And essentially what this was, th- there was good intentions behind this. It was designed to essentially make it so that um, tribal Native Americans could practice their religion more freely without persecution from the government. And that was really the intent that was behind it. Unfortunately, what ended up happening is it was fought against. Um, and in 1997, it was ruled unconstitutional in it so much as it was applied to the states. So on a federal level, you're still good. This is why, you know, people are allowed to, um, you can have sacred lands and things like that. And people can smoke peyote as long as it's part of their, their tribal religion. And, and, and that was the intent of this bill. Unfortunately, with it being deemed unconstitutional at the state level, this has now opened the floodgates to a lot of these religious freedom bills that we're seeing now. And this is why we're now able now so many people like, you know, Hobby Lobby and you know, uh, Chick-fil-A are able to kind of impose their their anti-gay agenda um, on the world. And it's very unfortunate because now we've gotten to a point where religion is kind of using these loopholes that we've created by accident to worm their way back in here. But this is not a new thing. Uh, religious institutions have been doing this uh, forever. 
uh, another one of the things we've mentioned a couple of times here is during the fifties and sixties, when we had this red scare and there's this big fight against communism, they use this, this idea of, Oh, communists hate religion. And, and they, they look at what they say and they use this to insert religion into every facet of our society from putting it on our, on our money significantly to injecting it into the pledge of allegiance. And this yeah. is something I want to, I want to be, want make sure everybody knows here the under God bit in the pledge of allegiance is new. It never existed. It used to, the line used to be one nation indivisible with Liberty and justice for all under God got inserted in the fifties during the red scare to fight communism, you know, mm. and God, yeah. we trust got put on a lot of our money. Yeah. It, it was the pluribus unum before then, which is about unity. Yeah. For many one. Yeah. For many one. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's insidious, but it's how these little things happen. It's little chunks over time. And it's completely, again, from conservatives, diluted the what was the intent of this original um, amendment and to the detriment of it, because I think there does need to be a wall of separation there. And for the religious people that might be listening to this, let me just put this to you. Whatever religious law you think is being saved, I want you to take your particular religion out of the equation, insert somebody else's religion back into it, and ask yourself if you still feel comfortable with that law being applied. I'm going to bet most of you are not going to like that. And and we know for a fact they don't because uh, a really cool organization is the Satanic Temple. Hail fucking Satan! No one has done more for love, equality, and the defense of the freedom of religion. Then the Satanic Temple, which is the funniest part. So one of the ways they really got popular is when, I think it was in Oklahoma, if I recall. I'm not sure. I think it's Oklahoma. Uh, a judge ordered and built the Ten Commandments, created in stone, to be in front of the courthouse. It basically, if, if he gets to have his religious statement, then so does anybody else. And so they commissioned a statue of Baphomet to also be in front of the courthouse. Uh, and he, of course, denied it. And it went to it went to the appeals and it, it eventually they got the right to do it. And so, of course, they took down the uh, the Ten Commandments to not let a satanic statue up. But it just goes to show that that's the typical hypocrisy of Christians in America who want freedom of religion because they don't want freedom of religion. They want the unfettered totalitarian regime of theirs. They want the Ten Commandments in front of a courthouse. They want Christ on Starbucks cups for some reason. Um, and, and But yet at the same time, they'll scream about Sharia law. Yeah. And you know, but they want prayer back in schools. It's like, okay, well then can my child create a circle in salt and start doing Wiccan practices? Is that, is that going to be allowed? Oh, no, it's not. That's paganism. You don't like that. So you actually don't want prayer back in schools. You want Christian prayer in schools. And just admit it. Just admit it. Because we all know it's true. Yeah. But yeah, they don't want freedom of religion. They want freedom of Christianity. They don't care about any other religion. They care about white Jesus who doesn't exist. They care about their typically white fragility. And they care about keeping other people from having their freedoms because those are all the common things that they fight against citing religion. Yeah. And what Chris said is right. I would actually agree to an extent that probably in the modern day, one of the biggest champions for for separation of church and state, uh, I think that statement is true. Uh, one of the other things that I love that they do is whenever schools, especially in places like Texas, there's big like push to get like religious books and texts 
back into the curriculum, they will show up and then also petition to have their religious text, which is the Satanic Bible, put into the curriculum to fight it. And it works every single time. But interestingly enough, you want to know what the one group that has done more to secure the right of freedom of religion in this country than any other group? It's got to either be the Satanists, which I know is not going to be because you can say that, or it's going to be freedom from religion, or it's going to be the Quakers. Nope. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Believe it or not. People want to talk shit about the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not my faith. I don't believe in it. However, I'll give you one thing about the Jehovah's Witnesses is they at least practice what they preach, and they are familiar with persecution. A lot of people don't know. Jehovah's Witnesses were absolutely persecuted in the Holocaust, and they believe in freedom and safety of religion. So that's I hadn't thought about that, Matt, but that, that fucking tracks, man. Absolutely. When it comes to setting legal precedent that has really narrowed down the scope of the First Amendment when it comes to freedom of religion, no group in this country has done more than Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's actually because of that persecution. People, be, and again, I, I agree with the sentiment that I don't want Jehovah's Witnesses knocking at my door. But I also say this, it happened a lot in my lifetime growing up. And every time, all you had to do was say, I'm not interested, and they'd leave. It wasn't like they were going to be like, well, wait a minute, let me get my foot. No, it was like, nope. Okay, bye. Yeah, they're not Mormons. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're, they're not exactly. Mormons and they're not Scientologists. They're, they're hardcore Christians. They're not cultists. That's Mormons and Scientologists. Exactly. But the interesting thing is, is because of their, their mandate to, to spread their, their word and to preach and minister, a lot of people would go after them. They would try to use littering laws uh, to go after them for have, try and pass out pamphlets. They would use, you know, they would, and again, they fought it and won consistently. And it's, it's important. I don't like religion. And, and again, my personal belief about religion is that it is useless in our modern society and that we need to get rid of it. But it's one of those situations where I may, this statement rings true is I may not agree with, with uh, what you're saying, but I'll defend it to the death your right to say it. I don't usually apply that to the freedom of speech so much because I think there are things that need to be stifled. But when it comes to religion, people do need to have the right to, to practice what they want. Now, there are limits to that, just like there are limits to anything, uh, like for free speech. Like if your religion mandates that you have to, you know, kill people in order to satisfy your deity, no, we're not going to do that. And the courts already ruled on things like that. Uh, cults are not allowed and we need to make the distinction. Now, I'd also argue that a lot of things that get a pass are actually cults. I mean, as we've discussed, Mormonism and Scientology, those are cults established by con men. Um, and, and, and the way they got religious status is dubious at best. Uh, we haven't gone into Scientology or anything like that. So yeah, not, not even at best, like straight blackmail and death yeah, threats. Like, yeah, that's a, Scientology literally committed acts of terrorism, terrorism. against the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but anybody that's interested in this, uh, two things that you should actually actually look into is the Leah Remini documentary on Scientology. That's amazing. Going Clear on HBO. Going Clear is another good documentary. If you're into podcasting, uh, Time Stuck with Dan Cummings has an amazing uh, a podcast on, on the Church of Scientology. But Hail bottom, Nimrod. And Bojangles, the wily three, uh, three-legged dog. Oh man, he's always getting up to shit. I love you, Bojangles. But anyway, I digress. Uh, these are all good things that have deep dived into the church and Scientology, but the quick notes version of this, in order to get tax exempt status as a ch- legal church, they literally just hired private investigators to follow everybody that made this decision, get dirt on them, and then blackmailed them into doing it. 
That's that's the true story of how they got were able to make this happen. It's and, and it's how they punish their followers who leave. They do the oh, same yeah. tactics. They actually hunt you down, follow you, and commit horrible acts of privacy violations and acts of slander against you. And they sue anyone they don't like. These kinds of things when you're a legal church are protected under the first amendment. And this is one of those areas where we should absolutely take a second look at this because these church, these cults are absolutely dangerous and don't deserve protected status. They're as dangerous as anybody that's trying to, to kill in the name of their deity. There's a reason why, you know, anybody practicing the Aztec faith isn't allowed to do human sacrifices. There are limits to what is allowed under these protections. They are not absolute. They are not hundred percent. And I think most people would agree that these limits are needed. You know, I don't think there's anybody that's religious or not that's going to say, oh, yes, you know, the freedom of religion should mean that you can do anything as long as your religion mandates it. No, you know, nor should we that mean that anybody can use their religion as a basis for enacting law. I mean, when the Christian right in this country or, or, or just any religion in general claims some sort of fear of Sharia law and then turns around and says women can't have abortions because my God says so and gay people can't exist because my God said so. Well, what do you fucking think Sharia law is? That's exactly what you're mandating. You're just calling it Christian law. Well, yeah, but brown people said it and so it's scary. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and this is kind of encompasses why we need to take a good hard look at all these these amendments because you know what? There is some really good shit in our Bill of Rights. There is some really good shit in our Constitution. But it all doesn't hold weight 300 years later. There are things that need to be revised. There are things that need to be changed. There are things that we need to take a look at. And this idea that the Founding Fathers were perfect and everything they wrote was done and we don't need to do anything else is just ridiculous. See, so, so that's... That's freedom of religion and from religion, I think, more accurately, in a nutshell. And and that is, I agree, Matt, is used incorrectly uh, most often. So the last one that the First Amendment guarantees us is the right to peacefully assemble. Uh, what this means that a citizen, is, as long as you're peaceful, you have the right to gather in mass, right? You protest, march, hold signs, address wrongs. Uh, unfortunately, this right above all the other ones in this amendment uh, have been falling under constant attack, uh, shamefully, but not surprisingly, from the same government outreach it's there to shield us from, right? No one hates the right to protest more than elected officials. And of course, they're attack dogs that wear badges. Uh, we already covered how metropolitan police agencies were first formed in our police episode. You guys, I don't remember what number that is. The, the quick and dirty is they were first formed to harass, intimidate, murder. And they started to basically dismantle labor unions to assassinate the leaders and put a stop to them for private industry. Uh, they used tactics like mass arrests, water cannons, attack dogs, beatings to quell the civil rights movement. And it, it wasn't that long ago the National Guard gunned down peaceful college students at Kent State. Uh, who were peacefully protesting the Vietnam War. When the Black Panthers armed themselves legally and open carried legally to protect themselves from being murdered by cops, the LAPD teamed up with the FBI and Cook County Police to assassinate the leadership and their leader, Fred Hampton. Quick timeline, because this one's important. Uh, if you had to name the number one nonviolent Black activist of all time, who, who, who would you say, Kay? I'm okay. Yeah, and, and that's what I would say. That's what a lot of people would say. It's probably definitely the most the most known. Uh, you wouldn't be wrong. MLK hated violence. Uh, he sought to use boycotts and the First Amendment right to peacefully assemble. He hated violence. Uh, he used boycotts and sit-ins and all kinds of aspects of the First Amendment to peacefully assemble. Uh, when beatings and arrests and fire hoses and attack dogs and outright blackmail 
uh, by the FBI didn't work, he was assassinated by a lone gunman in 1968. So MLK was not the only black civil rights leader at the time, though. And one of the lesser known peaceful heroes is Fred Hampton. Uh, Fred Hampton, and the Black Panthers basically had the audacity to start a free lunch program for kids. Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers basically had the audacity to feed children. They started the school lunch program, right? And they did other terrible things like organized neighborhood watches. Uh, They would escort victims of police brutality and racism around to protect them at night. And they would advocate for the end of black oppression, second class citizenry. Uh, The LAPD, Cook County Police and the FBI teamed up to go on a killing spree. Uh, Fred Hampton was basically the head of the Chicago Panthers. Uh, And he had just been elevated to the national spokesman. Shortly after criticizing Cook County State Attorney, a guy named Edward Hanoran, uh, he, Edward Hanoran that week literally rounded up a posse, linked up with the FBI, and in the early, I mean, we're talking dawn hours, it was, it was 4 a.m., pre-dawn hours, it was December 4th, uh, the heavily armed police team arrived at the site where they were, uh, divided into two teams, eight for the front of the building and six for the rear, and at 4.45 a.m., they actually stormed the apartment. Uh, Mark Clark was the first one to die. He was sitting in the front room of the apartment with a shotgun in his lap, and he was on security duty. He was guarding the apartment, right? Because they weren't just looking at the cops. I mean, literally, Peckerwoods and the Klan were going after these guys. So the police kicked open the door and immediately shot him in the chest, killing him instantly. And an alternative account was actually said that Clark answered the door, and then they shot him in the chest. Uh, but either way, uh, his gun discharged once into the ceiling, and the autopsy, the single round was fired when he survived a reflexive death convulsion. Uh, the autopsy show after being shot. This was the only time a shot was fired by the Panthers. Now, Fred Hampton, who was sober, he didn't do any drugs or drink at all. Uh, He had been drugged with barbiturates by an unknown party at a restaurant that night, uh, and he was sleeping on a mattress in the bedroom with his partner, who was nine months pregnant with their child. Now, this is further collaborated by his mother, who was on the phone, and he passed out on the phone with her mid-sentence. And uh, the autopsy from Cook County showed a massive barbiturate presence in his blood. Uh, strangely, the FBI report done shortly after that completely denies it. Weird, right? Upon entering the room, uh, they immediately pulled the nine-month pregnant Johnson from the room while Hampton was unconscious in the bed, and then the raiding team fired at his head in the south bedroom. Uh, Hampton was wounded in the shoulder, and according to the National Archives and Records Administration, their quote, upon that discovery, an officer shot him twice in the head and killed him. Uh, now, Harold Bell, another Black Panther who was there, uh, his his official report is his quote was that that the police said that's fred hampton is he dead bring him out he's barely alive he'll make it uh the injured panthers said they heard two shots that's when he got shot in the head and according to hampton supporters the shots were fired point blank at the back of his head according to his partner johnson an officer then said he's good and dead now uh, hampton's body was dragged into the doorway of the bedroom and left in a pool of blood uh, the officers directed their gunfire at the remaining Panthers who'd been sleeping in the north bedroom. Uh, their names were Satchel, Anderson, Brewer, and Harris. Uh, they were seriously wounded. Then they were beaten and dragged into the street. Then they were arrested on charges of aggravated assault and attempted murder of police officers. Uh, they were each held on $100,000 bail. Uh, at a press conference the next day, the police announced the arrest team had been attacked by the quote, violent and extremely vicious Panthers and defended themselves accordingly. And that's the story of how the government murdered Fred Hampton for feeding children. Uh, Now, the second attack was in L.A. It was four days later, right after four days after Fred Hampton's assassination on December 8th, 69, uh, after public opinion was starting to weaken after the LAPD routinely murdered Panthers in the street and at several gas stations. Black Panthers became targets of the world's first major ever, the first SWAT raid in history. Uh, More than 350 cops took on 13 Panthers, 
upsettingly to execute arrest warrants. That was the entire purpose, was just to give out warrants. Uh, the group they battled included three women and five teenagers. The raid included the police setting off a bomb on the roof of the house and calling in an actual tank for support. Six Panthers were shot. Uh, no cops. Uh, it resulted in 13 arrests and a total of 72 criminal counts being filed. And at the trial, the Panthers attorney, including Johnny Cochran, as this was the case that actually made him, uh, argued that the group had acted in self-defense and that SWAT had entered the building unannounced with guns blazing. Uh, fortunately, uh, the jury was mixed race this time. And they actually found the Panthers not guilty on almost all charges, including the most serious ones of assault with a deadly weapon and conspiracy to murder policemen. But yeah, so they, they were they were stormed and murdered and then were charged with trying to kill police officers. Uh, now, we don't need to guess where it goes from here. You know, we see SWAT tactics and no-knock warrants all the time. They, they kill Breonna Taylor sleeping in her bed, militarized police at every protest that marches. Uh, I've been to countless peaceful protests, and the tactics are always the same. Uh, it's an unlawful assembly is declared. And a curfew is placed. That alone is a violation of the Constitution and the First Amendment. You have the right to peacefully assemble in the street. It doesn't stop because the cops don't want you there anymore. That's the point, is to be a problem. And then if that doesn't work, they start shooting rubber bullets into the faces and chest of civilians. Uh, tear gas is used. These are all completely against international law. And beatings and mass arrests happen. And then protesters are oftentimes tortured and roughed up in custody. And this happens still. The, yeah, the police and federal government still work to undermine protests at every opportunity. I got a quote here from the director of the ACLU, Technology for Liberty Project. Her name is Kate Crockford. Uh, and she had an interview with Vice News. Basically, when she was talking about setting cops in a protest, it was to spy on dissidents in both relatively routine and extremely problematic. The First Amendment protects our right to criticize the government and agitate for social and political change. And this kind of law enforcement activity directly threatens that right. Department of Homeland Security, their choice to spend taxpayer dollars spying on today's black civil rights activists shows that federal law enforcement continues to view black people's demands for basic rights and equality as somehow threatening. That is that is her direct quote. It's you. We know this happens, right? Everyone's have you guys heard of uh, Cointel Pro from the FBI? It's, no. it's it's their counterintelligence program. It's been it, that's what they used against MLK and that kind of thing. Uh, it was a big program from fifty six to seventy one, and it's actually the best documented uh, cases we have. And the reason for that is because a group of citizens broke into an FBI office in Pennsylvania and stole their files and then passed them on to the media. So we don't have it all, but we have a window, right? And then this led to. Uh, congressional hearings. And then, of course, more information had to get pulled out. And a couple of the highlights. Uh, in 1970, uh, an informant working for the Tuscaloosa police and the FBI burned down a building at the University of Alabama during protests over the recent Kent State University shootings. The police then used that to declare an unlawful assembly and arrested 150 demonstrators. Uh, an FBI informant in the radical police organization Weather Underground. Anybody who's a history buff will know them. They were a, a group and they were anti-Vietnam group uh, in the 70s and they set off a bomb. Uh, but an FBI agent was there pushing for the shooting and bombing and his advocacy did indeed lead to the bombing and their bomb threats. It was directly from the undercover FBI agent. Uh, an FBI informant in Seattle drove a young black man named Larry Ward to a real estate office that engaged in housing discrimination and encouraged him to place a bomb there. When he did, the police were waiting for him and they shot him. Uh, 13 Black Panthers were accused once of a plot to blow up the Statue of Liberty after receiving 60 sticks of dynamite from an FBI agent who was undercover. 
and after 28 people broke into a federal building to destroy their draft files in 71, an FBI informant bragged, I taught them everything they knew. And because he was caught bragging about teaching them how to do it, they were all uh, they were all let go on the charges. And that's one thing we know uh, to know that they are going against leftist interests is not a surprise. It's sad. But the FBI also has led informants in right wing organizations participate in violence against productive accidents. So a very famous guy, his name was Gary Thomas Rowe, right? He's very famous for infiltrating the KKK in the 60s. Um, he was the FBI agent that's usually credited with 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 turning in evidence against the Klan. However, you guys have heard about the Freedom Riders in Alabama, uh, MLK's group. They rode a bus uh, and and they weren't going to be allowed into the state. And so they literally rode a bus in protest and then it was attacked and set on fire while they were inside of it. Yes. Gary Thomas Rowe gave the FBI a three week warning that this was happening. The FBI knew, allowed it and actually gave the local cop told ordered the cops to give 15 minutes of free time to the clan before they should intervene. So the FBI and the police actually knew this was coming and the police were given exactly 15 minutes for the white supremacist and Roe by the way the FBI agent helped set fire to the bus to burn them alive. Uh, again, these are all records that have been stolen from the FBI office. Um, and that same guy, right, uh, Gary Thomas Rowe, we know he actually played a role in the very infamous 63 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, which killed four little girls. He was in the car with three other Klansmen in 65 when they chased down and murdered Viola Liozzo, uh, the mother of five from Detroit who traveled to Selma. Uh, Rowe then received immunity for testifying against them and was then given a job as a U.S. Marshal by Lyndon Johnson after he set fire to a church, killed children and helped run them over and then helped set fire to the Freedom Bay. But that was the civil rights movement. And, but it's we don't have FBI records anymore, but this still happens today. Uh, do you guys remember it was big and there's a there's an epic picture of two guys holding guns. It was in 2014. Uh, two undercover cops in Oakland were, were blatantly trying to agitate the peaceful crowd. And people started suspecting them of being undercover cops and started shoving them. And so they pulled their guns out. Do you guys remember that? I don't actually. It, it was a famous photo for like five minutes and then it went away. But it turns out they were CHP. They were California Highway Patrol. And once they got busted as undercover cops who were inciting violence in the crowd, the CHP actually had to admit it. And they claimed they do it all the time into protests only so they can keep tabs on possible freeway closures. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah. 2004, NYPD agents were found being agents provocateurs during protests against the RNC. Uh, in 2008, Denver police officers were found to have used undercover detectives to instigate violence against other cops at the 2008 DNC. Uh, so basically, Denver PD went undercover to start throwing rocks at Denver PD in uniform and cause mass arrests. And that was leaked. But, you know, the government, like all governments, have no interest in us adrieving grievances, right? That's the point, is that every level from the FBI to state and local law enforcement work tirelessly to investigate violence, to discredit movements, assassinate leaders, and invent authoritarian bullshit methods like unlawful assembly. And you guys remember free speech zones in New York City? To have a zone where, okay, in this small area, you get to have a First Amendment right. Yeah, everywhere else you don't, but... Yeah, and and that's by design. All media and education uh, below a college level praises nonviolence, right? And admonishes any tactic, even property damage is somehow violent and, and has us trained like like Hindu cows to be peaceful and separate, celebrate MLK Day. 
as if he wasn't a hated radical who didn't condemn riots and utilize firearms. What you do know about MLK is total bullshit. He was 10 times more amazing than you're allowed to learn about. And he was the least effective of all these guys. But he is held up for a reason. We had a civil rights movement because of MLK and Malcolm X. And they were both assassinated. We have a school lunch program because of Fred Hampton, assassinated. You know, peaceful protesters recently, the Dakota Pipeline a few years ago, they were peacefully assembled, defending a treaty of the U.S. government. And they were frozen, gassed, beaten, and shot for trying to uphold that and stand in a river. I mean, we could go on for hours on this. We don't have the time, obviously. We're going to, you know, this is a long cast. Uh, but the point remains, you don't have the right to peacefully assemble. And you haven't for a long time. Uh, the freedom died with the end of the Civil War, and it's something we need to talk about more. The government is not going to allow you to assemble to take it down. And any time any attempt is made for mass gatherings that are peaceful, the police immediately swoop in once people have had an hour or two to march around, once they've had their time in the sun, I guess, and they declared an unlawful assembly, start shooting tear gas and utilizing violence. Protests get violence when the cops show up, when the government shows up. And you, that right has been seriously under attack. Name me a peaceful protest where the cops haven't shut it down after a couple hours for no reason other than it's an unlawful assembly, whatever that's supposed to mean. So on that happy note, what does exist, Matt? Tell me some good news. Tell me some good things that exist in the world. Well, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but we actually had a little episode where we interviewed a police officer last week, but we've already been getting some responses on it. There are two I want to highlight uh, because I really like them. Uh, the first one is from our our friend of the show, Jersey Girl One Seven Eight Two. You guys remember her? She's uh, left us a few comments every now and then. She's been a pretty avid listener ever since she first yeah, found abs- us. Yeah, she's left a lot of comments. Absolutely. Yeah. So she responded to the uh, police the first part of it. So this is what she said. It's pretty long, but worth a read. I really liked this interview and was pleasantly surprised that I agreed with him on a lot of things. Disclaimer, I don't know if what we are saying about cops in certain places being afraid to do their jobs because of lack of qualified immunity, but even if this is true, my opinion is the same. Cops should never have qualified immunity because, as cops are so fond of saying, if you're doing nothing wrong, then you have nothing to worry about. Plus, there are lots of us with jobs that deal with violent interactions who are responsible for life and death, and we don't have qualified immunity. If I decided not to de-escalate an interaction with a violent patient, I'm guessing she works in healthcare, or was negligent, actively caught or actively caused the death of a patient, I'd be fired and charged with a crime. Cops deal with lots of the same people we deal with in ERs, so no uh, qualified immunity for cops. Sorry if that was a bit long. Explanation for disagreement doesn't usually fit well into one tweet. Couldn't agree with her more. Yeah, absolutely couldn't. There are lots of different, uh, not industries, but but circumstances in which People are held liable for their actions. Uh, the military is specifically, think about them as, as uh, you know, they go to the war and they shoot at other people. Uh, but if they shoot it at the quote unquote enemy before being shot at, they can be held liable just for their discharging their weapon before being shot at. So why the, the, the police can't, uh, work under similar rules, I, I don't understand. And I agree, qualified immunity is bullshit. You don't get to violate people's civil rights just because you are a police officer. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I've been thinking about even since we did that interview is, you know, 
what would happen if we remove qualified immunity? The number one response I hear is, well, well, police officer get sued. Yeah. Yeah. They would. That, But that would be sued if they do something illegal, right? So if police officers don't do anything illegal, they won't get sued, right? Seems like the logic tracks here. Whatever reason qualified immunity was started, from what if I remember correctly, it wasn't to protect cops. I think Chris was mentioning this, that it was meant to... Uh, it was meant to protect federal agents who were going after the Klan. Yeah, exactly. And so, but it's been twisted and warped to something else. And I think there are far too many police officers out there right now that, that unfortunately have learned they can do whatever they want and qualified immunity or what, or their, or their, their brothers in arms or their, their captains or their precincts or the federal government was going to protect them. As long as they articulate what they did in a certain way, they can twist anything into qualified immunity. And, and maybe, maybe we've, we've, okay. So we've done qualified immunity. We have a problem with it. Maybe we should try a few years without it and see what happens. If Mm -hmm. the worst thing that happens is police departments start running out of money because they're paying off people that the cops have assaulted or killed, I'm sorry, that's an okay price to pay, in my opinion, for the saving of lives. If the end result of that is these cops don't get away with it. Here's the thing. If you're you're going to get into public service like that, you don't get to hold – you don't get to say that I want to serve and protect and do blank, 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 and that also my life is the most important. It's like if you can't – if you can't hold your life as under your service, that's fine. But ask anyone in the military, then that's not the job for you, and you should go do something else where you get to be the most important snowflake in the room. So so thank you, Jersey Girl 782. Always appreciate hearing from you. So thank you for that. Uh, the next one's a little bit quicker. Uh, this listener has actually been following us for a while. She's very active in, in liking and leaving little comments to our stuff, but she's never outright responded. So I wanted to give her a shout out. This is to Becca 1218 also on Twitter. We got two tweets from her. Sorry, two. One of them was, I'm listening now. Not going to lie. As soon as I saw officer, I was sus. uh and then uh shortly thereafter uh, i got a second tweet uh from her realest words i've ever heard quoted even cops hate cops so apparently she liked it when we said that in the interview she she strikes me as somebody that is a person of a few words but uh i I do appreciate her constantly engaging with us and reaching out and i appreciate the uh the like of our uh, statement there. So thank you, uh our becca 1218 well thanks guys i i i absolutely love the love we get in the mailbag. Y'all are amazing. Please keep tweeting, keep emailing, keep commenting. We love hearing about you and tell us whatever is on your mind. And also please don't forget, we are still looking to hit that 50 review mark on iTunes. So if you haven't done so hop over to iTunes, leave us a review. It doesn't have to be nice. I mean, that'd be great. I'd appreciate it, but it really doesn't have to be, but just get us those reviews. It really helps us, uh, really helps us spread the left. Thank you all for being here. Uh, I know this is a long slog. This is a longer podcast than we usually run. But again, this is the First Amendment. There was no way we were going to get through this in an hour and 10 minutes. So y'all are amazing. Thanks for being there. There will be more of these in the future. Obviously, next week we'll be back with our usual. But there will be more. So keep your ears open. We're going to do uh, We're gonna do the rest of these. We're going to probably keep doing occasional special nuggets like this, like interviews and uh, deep dives into political topics because uh, they tend to go pretty well. In them. Sounds like you guys like them too. So until then, uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for letting us into your ear holes. We love you. We hope you love us back. And until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, the revolution is you.